Hello and welcome to this week's Therapy for Me. And I've got to get myself sorted fairly quick tonight because I'm off out to a gig. I'm going over to Manchester to the Apollo to see Jason Isbell. Uh, I'm Mr Jason Hunt, he of the 942 podcast and a long-time friend, um, rang me up and said, do you fancy coming to see uh, Jason Isbell? I've had tickets for this gig, it's been rescheduled a couple of times. And the person I was originally going with uh, can't make it, do you fancy coming? And of course, the answer was yes, I'd love to come. Um, so I need to get myself organised. Um, and I've just been finishing off the notes for this. So I will crack on, bit of twangy guitar, straight in, bish bash bosh, and I'll be away to go and see the gig. <laughs> I think I'm fundamentally lazy. Um, in fact, I go in between lazy and intense periods of activity. And I'm going to give you an example of that. And it's just dawned on me. And this isn't what I was going to talk about, actually. But every time I put this together, I've got the individual samples that go in between the um, the days. So you've got the, the introduction and Monday sample, and then the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the outro, Friday and the outro sample. And they're all a little bit too loud. So when I put them into the um, into the the uh, Studio One recording software, I have to manually um, drop the volume level on them um, by 5 dB. And what I should really do is record them again 5 dB lower. Because technically speaking, though that would take a little bit of time, it would be far quicker than the amount of time I have put into lowering the volumes if you think I've been doing that for years and years and years. But ultimately, the thought of getting around to do it has kind of put me off, really. And yes, it's a really simple job, but it's just a job that seems like a faff. And I've realised that I don't like things. I put things off if if they're a little bit hard or if they involve a little bit of effort. I find any excuse not to do them. Uh, and I don't know how to change that. Um, and I'm not even sure if I want to, but... I don't know, if you've got any ideas, I would be interested. Anyway, I don't know why we got that little aside. Um, only on Monday, and I'm already confusing myself. The thing I wanted to talk about was um, Jeff Bessos, um, who I believe is the Amazon guy. And he announced that he is going to, in his lifetime, give away his fortune. And this goes alongside a lot of other people who've said that they're going to do the the same thing. Bill Gates is is on that list. Funnily enough, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, who got half of his fortune in the divorce settlement, very uh, publicly said she was going to do do that, and he's now followed suit. Now, I'm a little bit unsure about this. Not that I don't think it's a a good thing, um, and I think the kind of money we're talking about, you could say, well, okay, you want to provide for your family when you're not around, but that that isn't billions, is it? And, um, you know, and it's a, there's a very good argument for, well, yes, you should be a safety net or a fallback for your kids, but your kids actually have to make their own way. So I go either way on that one. The, the reason why I'm a little bit all over the place with this is with Amazon in particular, probably more than some of the other people, I've worked in industries where Amazon has affected businesses and has had devastating effect on businesses as Amazon has grown. So Amazon has grown with a, th- a fairly cutthroat view of how it was going to 
you know, to get to where it got to. I mean, essentially, Amazon had a long period of going nowhere near profit uh, and in doing so carved out a marketplace for itself, gave itself a, a dominant position by essentially losing a lot of money. Um, and you look at all the businesses that kind of were were done for by the Amazon rise and you go, well, I'm quite pleased that if you give your money away, it might end up going on things like climate change and it might be put to very, very good use in terms of things like, you know, net zero or whatever it might be. And it, I'm assuming that he will do a lot of good, but I wonder if that undoes the harm that's been done in the creation of that wealth in the first place. And I wonder if there's an example, another example of somebody who's created wealth in that way that has actually touched a lot of other businesses negatively, um, who then turned around and said, well, I'm going to give it away so it's all fine, but it's going to be given away for things I want to spend it on. Uh, and actually those individual stories along the way aren't really being factored in. So I'm not quite sure where to go on that. I'm a big one for philanthropy. Um, I think it's a I think it's a good thing. I think it's a positive thing. I think it's what we should do. Um, but I don't know in this situation where whether it's it, it should be lauded quite as much as it is simply because of the trail of destruction that was left in the creation of that uh, that that wealth. Um, and I probably won't make it mine up for a while. Uh, it, that's a kind of um, Jeff Bezos discuss moment, I guess. <laughs> I've spoken to a few people this week and it seems to be a bit of a recurring theme this. I'm not really that engaged with the World Cup this time round, and I think I'm not engaged or disengaged, I suppose is the phrase I should use, with the World Cup because I'm uncomfortable with where it is. I'm uncomfortable with the time it is as well, um, but I'm uncomfortable with where it is. I'm uncomfortable with how we've ended up with the World Cup being in Qatar. Um, and consequently, I know very little about what's going on. I know very little about um, the matches. I know very little about the groups. No idea who I'm going to play. No idea when the matches are. And not really in a rush to find out either. And normally by the time we get to a World Cup, I'm normally a little bit engaged at this point. Even just knowing when the first games are, having some idea who's in the group, all those kind of things. And I don't really have any of that this time. And it's funny because I was on a Zoom call with um, a few people uh, in the in the music instrument space. And a number of people said exactly the same thing. That actually normally there's you know four or five people in a, an office or in a, in a business that would be all over the World Cup. And yet it's probably you know, a 25, 20% take up at the moment. One in four, one in five people have engaged with it. The rest have kind of, they know it's going on, but they haven't any, taken any interest to educate themselves on what's going on once, when, yada, yada, yada. So um, I don't know, I don't even know if I'm going to watch the first game, which is which is kind of strange, really. And I guess you shouldn't blame... Should you blame sport? Should you not engage with the sport because you disagree with the politics? Um, is it the fault of the sportsmen? They're all there. They're doing what they're doing. Um, but then at what point, by saying it's not the fault of the sportsmen, so I'm going to watch the tournament, at what point then 
are you part of the problem? Uh, that's the bit I'm not quite I'm not quite sure about. So um, I don't know. May change as we go along, but at the moment, nah, it's not happening. <laughs> Where are we on Mastodon then? Um, is Twitter going to fall apart? Is Twitter going to cease to be? Um, Mastodon appears to be the platform that everybody is going over to, though it seems to be more difficult in terms of how you operate it. It's based around servers and bits and pieces. You have to have some kind of knowledge of how it works. I think getting to the content is not as easy. Uh, I get the impression it's not as uh, logarithmically driven. Um, and it probably is a, a, a more equitable platform in that respect. Um, but are are we going there? I've been giving thought to... I've, I've had a couple of quick looks. Uh, it seems to be a lot more people are at least booking their their handle, their, their, you know, their username, whatever they're called on Mass, and I'm not quite sure. Um, will Will it happen? I mean, I've... I've been a Twitter user for a long time. I tend to use Twitter for information uh, and signposting rather than actually um, putting any content on there. In fact, to be honest, I've got terrible on content full stop. In fact, this does prompt another conversation, which is social media, to social media or not to social media, because at one point I'm, I'm then thinking, well, should I should I start a journey on another platform? But then there's part of me wondering whether I should just stop doing it altogether. Um, and mainly I think that's probably because I'm not very good at it um, I should be doing loads of social media to support things like the podcast and I just I just don't um, I should be doing loads of you know reminding people and trying to build I, mean, I should be trying to build an audience for this I should be trying to do more stuff and engage with you know the other podcasts I'm involved in and for whatever reason I'm struggling to be bothered Um a lot of that this week, isn't there? Uh, fundamentally lazy, you see. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe creatively, I'm just tired. Maybe doing the things that I'm doing on a daily and weekly basis is is enough. And maybe I just haven't got the the space to be creative enough, or the time to be creative enough to do the things. Or maybe I'm just not very good at doing the repetitive over and over again. I don't know. So you've got. You've got the new platform in one corner. You've also got the thing that, and I've, I, you know, what? I've flirted with this, and I have flirted with it before, and I'm actually in the process of thinking about buying a new phone. But, and in one breath I'm looking at um, uh, the the new iPhone, in another breath I'm kind of thinking, do I go for a, a non-smartphone? Do I go back to a phone that just, I mean, if I think I could get WhatsApp. On, on, on a Nokia-esque phone, would I need anything else? WhatsApp seems to be the thing that... But then I use it so for so much in the way of, you know, news and this, that and the other. And would I just sit in front of the computer instead? And would it affect the amount of time I'm on screen? I'm really not sure. This has all come from that Mastodon thing, hasn't it? And I'm not sure about that either. Uh, and I, by the way, if anybody's out there and they've got any information or they've tried it or what have you, I'd be, I'd be keen to get a kind of a fast track guide if there is a fast track guide. Um, it'd be nice to be in a space where people were nicer. It'd be nice to be in a space where people weren't screaming and shouting. It'd be nice to be in a space where people weren't quite quite as angry. But then I don't think that's the 
And then we're into that catch-22 question again. Is it social media that's made us like that or is social media just a reflection of the fact that we've got that like that and what's got us there in the first place? And I can't answer that question either. Wow, this is a bit a bit, bit of a downer this week, isn't it? I'll try and pick it up. I'll try and pick it up. Let's, let's, let's put an end to this one and see if we can't pick it up on the next one. Thursday. I've just realised this is the section that I'm supposed to be lifting. This is the this is the bit in the gig where the lights go up and I lift the room after being relatively downbeat for most of the previous um, bits of TFM for this week. And of course, this is the bit that I'm due to talk about the autumn statement. Um, but we could flip it. We could say there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel with this shower of a government because I think the autumn statement has pretty much boxed them in now for um, for the remainder of this parliament, depending on how long it lasts. They they were fairly boxed in because they chose not to make a difficult decision politically on one of four topics. They they didn't make a difficult political decision with regard to the NHS. They didn't make a difficult political decision with regard to education. They didn't make a difficult political decision with regard to the triple lock. And they didn't make a difficult political decision with regard to universal credit. Now, I don't know how they could have done, to be fair, on any of those areas. I think I think politically... If they had actually gone and done anything too negative on any of those spaces, then they really could have had people on the streets. Um, but by choosing to protect those four areas, um, and as I say, I'm not convinced you could do anything different, they've boxed themselves in pretty much everywhere else. We've gone from a government that tried to get rid of the 45 pence tax rate to not only reinforcing the 45 pence tax rate, but actually throwing a hell of a lot more people into it by taking that threshold down by 25 grand. By freezing thresholds um, for the next however many years, um, for income tax on across the board, they are throwing a load of people into tax who probably don't normally pay, pay income tax, and they are absolutely throwing a, a hell of a lot of people into the upper tax band, the 40 pence tax band that haven't been there before, and they are making everybody poorer. There's there's there's, there's no doubt. There's an, there's an absolute just no win. I mean, um, the problem for the Tories is that you know you. You could argue there's no votes for the Tories in those people who are on universal credit or those people or a lot of those, maybe not the triple lock, but certainly a lot of those people on universal credit and a lot of people maybe who work in education or the NHS wouldn't vote for the Tories anyway. But politically, they couldn't do anything in all of that, in any of those spaces. So the only the only benefit they get is for those pensioners uh, who are probably traditional Tory voters who will look and say, well, at least the triple lock has been maintained. The thing there is, it's not like those pensioners are going to be better off. So the pensioners who are struggling anyway, yes, they'll get their 10% rise or whatever the rise is going to be, but food inflation is still running at 15% of whatever it's running at. So they're not even going to see that, you know, their lives aren't getting any better, is the point I'm trying to get to, because they're still facing rises in energy bills and all of those things. So your pension stayed the same. Um, your universal credit stayed the same, but your bill, your energy bill has gone up exponentially. Then you know ultimately at some point you're going to you're going to run out of cash um, before you finished paying out on the things you need to pay out on. So I think uh, looking at the reaction both on the day and I think what will come further down the line, the the OBR forecasts are horrible. 
Uh, we're talking a long period of recession here, far longer, far deeper than uh, most other um, countries of, of a similar standing. And you are you are absolutely squeezing in all manner of ways those people who would normally vote Tory. So, look, we knew it was going to be bad. I don't know if people thought it was going to be quite as bad. Um, and by the way, it doesn't make Labour's job any easier if Labour gets in. But the thought that the end of Truss and Sunak and Hunt would provide something, a stability that would give the Tories a crack at it in the next two years, I'm now not convinced uh, because I just don't see any kind of fiscal wiggle room for them. We're going to be in a bad place when the election comes around and I can't see any other thing other than them being blamed for it. I mean, rightly, but blamed for it. Friday. Go on, let's finish on something different. When I was putting the notes together for the Chrono Diaries um, this morning, I was taken to... um, Because what we've done in the TCD episode um, this week is that essentially we've prepared the way because it's going to come to an end at some point. And uh, it was never meant to last anything like as long as this. And it's going to come to an end probably in about 35 to 40 episodes when we have gone through and when H has read out all the diary extracts realistically there's no real reason for it to carry on um after after that point in time so okay we might have nine ten months left but it is going to come to a it is going to come to an end so i just happened to mention that we'd we'd hit one of those points where we were three quarters of of the way through what the tcd journey probably feels like that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we won't do something else and it might be that we do do something else we might look at a different thing to do that's entirely possible we haven't talked about it but tcd the current diaries in its form that it's in probably will come to an end so i got the idea because we were going into the final bend the final lap the final bit of the race that that it took me back to sebastian coe and it took me back to the fact that Sebco was able to do this thing when he was running races that he he came off the final bend and he had he had the Sebco kick, which basically meant that for about you know twenty or thirty meters he just changed pace and left a field of runners behind him. And what's astonishing about it is that he could have been running he could have done fourteen hundred meters at that stage and yet he he would finish with in a lot of instances around about a twelve second last hundred meters now at that point in time the world record for hundred meters was still over ten seconds or around about ten seconds so to be for somebody to run fourteen fifteenths of their race and then be able to sprint away in the last hundred meters was somewhat astonishing and he was an astonishing athlete and I was always a big sebco fan. So I thought, you know what, that's a reasonable analogy. Let's use that for the notes for, for this week. And what it took me to, it took me to it took me to a memory and it took me to a video clip. It took me a vid- to a video clip of the 1500 meters final in the 1984 Olympics in LA. And it reminded me of the fact that we were on a camping holiday at the time and we um, got up from, I don't know if we were in bed, or, I don't know if it was in the middle of the night or not. I'm not quite sure. I've got a thing in my head that it was about two or three in the morning, but I might be wrong. But we definitely went to bed because we, we were young, you know, fairly young. I mean, I'd be 13 at that point in time, but we'd been to bed. We'd got up to go to the television room on a campsite because that's the only way you could have watched it. And a whole group of people watched this race, this sub four minute race at that time in the morning and watched Sebco bring the gold medal home. And I'll never forget 
that memory. And then to see that again, to hear David Coleman do the commentary and to see that clip again in that funny kind of, you know, square aspect, because obviously back then TVs were square. So, you know, no, it's weird when you see something that's not widescreen anymore. Um, and just to, to, to watch that and remember that moment where he pulls away from Cram and he leaves him, not for dead, but Cram looks tired and he, like he's run the hardest race of his, his life and Co is just looking su- just supreme uh, and magnificent and like he's got energy to burn. And um, I, I, th- I, I don't know, it was just something really special about that memory. Uh, and, and looking back at it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this week on Sebco that race for those people who are my age or remember those things. You forget how big a deal those three runners, Sebco, Steve Avetten, and Steve Cram, were. That was that was the sexy sport, middle distance running. I can't believe I'm even saying it, but that was the thing. We led the world, and it was just it was it was our it was our Olympics rock and roll. And I just, yeah, I'm really, really pleased that that popped into my head this morning while I was listening to the podcast because it it, it all seemed to fit quite nicely and it's been a nice thought for the nice thought for the day. Right, I need to get myself sorted. It's ten to six. I need to get off fairly shortly, so I'm going to wrap this up. Hope you're well. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>